morning and welcome. Please stand with us. Yes, and participate in worship this morning. We need you to join us in singing. Let's shout it out. Hey, thank you so much, worship team, for getting us off right today. Good morning, Calvary Church family. How's everyone doing? Good. Happy Sunday. It's good to see everybody. You guys are looking great today. You guys are singing awesome. And we're so 
glad that you're here today celebrating and worshiping the resurrected Savior, the one who sits on the throne right now, like right now. All right? I don't know about you, but I'm celebrating that. All right? It's good. It's good to be in the house today with you guys in God's house to be able to celebrate all that Jesus has done. And we are so thankful that you are faithful in doing so this morning. If you're a first-time guest, thank you so much for being here with us today. We love our church. We love our church family and everything that's going on. We want to make sure that you know about it um, and you're well aware how your family can come and be a part and fit in. So if you could, fill out a connect card in the chair back in front of you um, and then after service uh, you can take that out to this back connect table and we can we want to get to know your family fill it fill you guys in on everything that's going on and uh, get to know you guys all right but we are again we're excited that you're here today we know that God has something special in store for each and every single one of us so before we get to that I'm going to invite you all to stand we're going to ask God's anointing on our services today let's do it good to see you guys let's bow our heads together Lord, we love you, and again, we're so thankful that you've brought us back to this place, God. Lord, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, God, where we can come together to worship and grow with one another, God. So we, we're excited to do so. We ask that your Holy Spirit just come and be invited into this space today. Um, not just to inhabit a building, but to inhabit our hearts. Because, Lord, we, we long for your equipping. We long for your, uh, your growth in our life, God. And we want to be the very best people that we could be for you in this uh, lost and dying world. Because we have family and coworkers and, and friends that desperately need to hear you, God. And so, Lord, equip us and help us to be ready to learn today as Brother Will preaches the, the, the word. And uh, so we can be that light to our friends. We love you. In your name, amen. Greet those around you, and we'll get started in a few seconds.
glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted above all. We proclaim with all those in heaven this morning, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Lord, please accept our worship and our praise to the only name that is Jesus. We praise you in this place today. God's people said, amen, and praise the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. your praise team. Give them another big hand, would you? Appreciate them and their ministry. Good deal. Good deal. Good deal. Brother Nathan, thanks for dragging the pulpit over here. Y'all pray for Nathan. He goes to a teen camp today with 22 teenagers. Woo, yeah. Then uh, five, five helpers. You're going to have more trouble with the five helpers than the 22 campers. I, I know. I know how it is. Nathan, I was, I was thinking between services about uh, youth camp and being a youth pastor. And uh, dude, I remember one summer I preached 10 youth camps. One summer, 10 camps. Of course, that was 40 years ago. And I only weighed 179 pounds. I was in I was fighting my fighting weight right there, 179. So I am so glad. I am so glad I am no longer a youth pastor. I'm just kidding. Y'all pray for Nathan. Will you do that? Pray for our kids as they go to camp this week. Hey, let me ask you a question. Everybody look at me. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever asked yourself this question? What have I done to deserve the trouble I'm having? Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever asked yourself that question. What have I done to deserve the trouble I'm having? If so, you're not alone. This is one of the top questions that most people ask Pastors, and I've been asked this question hundreds of times. There are, of course, two possible answers to the question, what have I done to deserve the trouble I'm having? And the first answer is, you've done something. <laughs> you've done something. Very often, we have done something to deserve our troubles. We've brought it on ourselves. We've caused the mess we're standing in. I read of a four-year-old who tried to pray the Lord's Prayer after what he thought he had heard in church. So he went home and he prayed this prayer. And forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. Barbara, he came close. I mean, that's a pretty good little prayer. You know what? All of us have trash in our baskets. Amen? We have all transgressed and trespassed against God, and we have trespassed against each other. That causes many of the problems we have in, in life. The Bible says, be sure, be sure your sins will find you out. And, and perhaps you're here today and you admit that, you know what, I have created my own problems. And, and we all have from time to time, haven't we? 
You know, I have done things that, that I am so ashamed of, and, and I have created messes not only for my life, but for the people around me and the, the people I love. And if that is your case today, all you can do is confess your sins to God and ask Him for His grace, mercy, and forgiveness. L- let me tell you something. God loves you enough to help resolve your problems, even if they stem from the mistakes that you have made and from your own sins. Mark this down. God not only forgives, God heals. He not only redeems, but our God restores. So if the answer to your problems is you've done something to create them, you can find forgiveness, help, and healing today. Now, many people in the Bible thought that something was the only possible answer to the question, what have I done to deserve the troubles I'm having? They felt that if you were engulfed in problems, it was because you deserved them. That was their thinking. That was their theology. In fact, you can study this through the Bible. Job's friends, remember Job? Had all those horrible things happen to him? You, you think you're having a bad day, go back and read Job's life. I mean, he had tremendous bad days, one after another. And day after day, his friends tried to convince him that these were punishments from God because of his own sins. But you read through the book of Job and you realize that's not the case at all. Job had done nothing wrong. These are just bad things happening to him. But his friends thought, It has got to be because of your sins, Job. The disciples in the New Testament, seeing a blind man in the temple, asked Jesus a question. They asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Again, you've got to go back and understand, that's the way they thought. That was their theology. In their thinking, somebody in this young man's life Probably his parents had a tremendous sin that they had committed, and as a result of that sin, this boy was born blind. But remember what Jesus said? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus was reminding us that there is another possible answer to the question, what have I done to deserve the trouble that I'm having? And that answer is nothing. Nothing. Take, for example, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. Joseph is one of the few in the Bible whose story is practically spotless. Now, I'm sure he wasn't perfect because the Bible tells us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we are not told of any offenses that Joseph committed. He possessed remarkable godliness and spirituality. But from the very beginning, when he was just a teenage boy, trouble came his way. And he faced one trouble after another. Let me read Genesis 37, 2 through 4 to you. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. Now Israel, that's his father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. 
because he had been born to him in his old age. And so he made him a robe or a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not even speak a kind word towards him. Now, th- this, this kind of leaks into a whole other sermon on parenting. But you, you guys know, you guys know that as a parent and a grandparent, you can't have favorites. You know, well, uh, let me tell you why not. <laughs> Little secret, turn, turn the video off, all right? You can, but you just can't let any of the others know that you do. All right? You you want the definition of a dysfunctional family. It's this family in Genesis 37, this godly family. Here's this father. He had a whole slew of sons, but his favorite was the youngest. He loved the youngest. He he made him this very special coat of many colors. I can't remember what it was, but I was I was looking over some pictures and, and Barbara, you had a picture of one of your little students who had on a coat of many colors. Just, I think it was taken years ago, but you, you posted it just the other day and it made me chuckle, but you know, there, there it was, Joseph had this special coat, but his brothers hated him. So much so they couldn't even say anything nice about him. Then chapter 37, verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. Freddie, you know why? You know why they hated him more? Because he told them that the dream he had. And in his dream, his brothers all bowed down to him. They paid homage to him. Now, they already think he's a jerk. Now they think he's a double jerk. How, how come this punk is saying this to us? They hated him. Verse number eight, they hated him all the more. Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. And then you skip down to verse number 18. It says, they saw him in the distance. That is, the brothers were taking care of dad's flock. And so dad sent his favorite, Joseph, in his prize coat of many colors out to check on his brothers. They see him coming. I mean, you can see him a mile away because of that coat that he has on. And what did they say? Before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Maybe you know the rest of the story. They slapped him to the ground. They stripped off his prized robe. They pushed him into this dry cistern and finally sold him both bloodied and bruised into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. The Bible says that he pleaded with them in great distress, but they just laughed at him and mocked at him and maybe even jingled those 20 shekels in front of his face. He was hauled to Egypt and he was sold to a man by the name of Potiphar who served Pharaoh. Genesis chapter 39 verse 6 tells us that Joseph was well built and very handsome. And Potiphar's wife, who was probably a knockout, but I'll talk about that later, propositioned him, tried to seduce him. 
And when he refused, she accused him of raping her. And he was thrown into prison where he languished for years. I bet you didn't know this, but there is a segment of Scripture in Psalms 105 that describes Joseph while he was in that prison. Psalms 105 says that his feet were bruised with shackles and his neck was put in irons. He was having a tough time. He didn't walk out of that Egyptian prison until he was 30 years old. His entire young adulthood life was gone. And if you ask Joseph, Joseph, what in the world did you do for all those problems to come on you? He would have said, nothing. I've not done anything to deserve all of these problems. So then naturally you would probably ask Joseph then, well, how in the world did you deal with it? How in the world did you cope all of those years knowing that your brothers hated you, betrayed you, that people were lying about you, that you were in prison, your your feet shackled, an iron brace around your neck? How did you deal with all of that? Well, wouldn't we like to know? Because let me tell you, we all have troubles. Again, sometimes you cause your own problems, but other times we have problems for no apparent reason at all. And when we go through difficult times like that, how do we cope? How do we deal with it? Well, we learn from Joseph, five things he can teach us. First of all, he would say, when I faced all of these problems, I recalled God's promises. I recalled all of the promises God gave me. The first thing we learn of Joseph in the Bible is that he had a relationship with God and that God spoke to him. Now, in those days, they didn't have a Bible. This this is before the book of Genesis was even written. But God spoke by other methods. He, He spoke to people through dreams and through visions. Joseph had two dreams. Those two dreams were recorded in Genesis chapter 37, and he knew from those dreams that God had a plan for his life. I love this verse in the Bible that talks about God's plans for our lives as believers. They are plans not to harm us, but to prosper us, plans to give us both a future and a hope. And Joseph knew that God had a plan for his life. So when his brothers manhandled him, when he was pressed into slavery, when he was dragged down to Egypt, when he was falsely accused of rape, when he was shackled in a miserable Egyptian prison, even during the darkest days and the most hopeless nights, he reminded himself of the promises God had given to him. Now, Joseph only had two dreams in his heart. Got that? Hold up, hold up the piece. Hold up number two right here. That's how many dreams he had in his heart, two dreams. We have got 66 books in this Bible. Now think about that. He had two dreams, we have 66 books. He had one promise, two dreams, one promise. We have hundreds of promises in the Bible. We've got enough promises for every day of the week. Every week of the month, every month of the year, we have a promise for every problem that we face. The psalmist said, how sweet are your promises to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Now, over and over and over in your life, you're going to face the trials and troubles of life. You've got two options. What are you going to do with those trials and troubles? You can either go to the world and find relief, or you can go to the Word of God and find relief. Church, my suggestion is you go to the Word of God. You give God your problems, your troubles, your worries, your cares, and in return, He is going to give you the promises of God in response to those troubles. There are so many promises of God available to you. Joseph made it with one. You've got a Bible full of them. Number two, I think Joseph would say, I not only recalled God's promises, I realized God's presence. The most significant phrase in the story of Joseph is one that occurs repeatedly. We see it time and time again. For example, let me read Genesis 39, 1 through 3. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. It's got to be my phrase because it's all capitalized, right? The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. On down it says, the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. come on people. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This even drifts over into the New Testament. Remember Stephen, he, he was, he, right before he got stoned to death, he gave a speech in Acts chapter seven, and this is what he said. Because the patriarchs, that is Joseph's brothers, were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. So here's young Joseph. Even though he was torn from his elderly and beloved father, even though he was rejected by his own siblings, despite all of his problems, he never ever lost the sense of the presence of God. He knew that God was with him. That God was never going to leave him nor forsake him. Let me tell you something, friends. Look at me. God is with you. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, we know that he's with us because his Holy Spirit lives in us and abides in us and reassures us that yes, even in the difficult times of life, even in our darkest moments with our biggest problems, our God is right there with us and he loves us and he cares for us and he has a purpose for our life and he can help solve our problems. I think a good verse to hold on to is Isaiah 41.10. It says, so do not fear. God says this to you, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So let's do this. Let's, Let's read that first sentence together. I want you to read it out loud with me so you can start getting this into your mind how God feels about you and where God is. Read this with me. So do not fear. For 
for I am your God. He's with you, friend. How in the world did Joseph make it through all of those long, difficult days? He remembered and recognized the presence of God. Thirdly, Joseph successfully dealt with his troubles by respecting God's purity. Often when we're facing discouragement, we're more defenseless to the temptations that Satan brings into our life. Let me tell you, when Satan can get you down, he's not going to help pull you back up. He's going to be stomping on your fingers as you're hanging on to that last rung of the ladder. He wants to destroy you. He wants to hurt you. He wants to harm you. And so many times when we are facing discouragement, we become defenseless to Satan's temptations. We give up. But Joseph knew a little bit of algebra. We talked about this first service, didn't we, Stacey? I don't know where he learned it. Maybe when he was there in Potiphar's house. Maybe, maybe he learned it with the Ishmaelites. I don't know. Could have learned it at home. But he knew He knew some algebra. He knew a formula. Let me throw this formula up on the screen here so you can write it down. T times T equals 3T. Now, let me tell you, I'm I'm horrible at math, but, but I know this equation. Here it is. Troubles multiplied by transgressions equal triple trouble. If you got troubles over here and you dilute them and make them worse by making dumb, stupid mistakes and decisions, if you transgress, you're just going to have triple troubles in your life. Let me say it like this because I'm losing some of you. Two wrongs never make a right. And just because you've you've had some curveballs thrown your way, and just because you're discouraged, and just because you're having trouble, and just because nobody else cares about you, does not give you the right to go out and deliberately sin. You're only bringing destruction into your own life. When you do that, you're removing the presence and the promises from God for assisting you. So Joseph determined that he would rather die than sin against God. Now, I want to read to you some verses here in Genesis 39. Kind of a lengthy passage, but it's juicy. So you're going to listen. Here it is. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Think of the most well-built and handsome guy you can think of. He was more so. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. This is Miss Potiphar. And she said to him, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and not sin against Potiphar, not sin against myself, but sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was there. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. Come have sex with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he 
skedaddled out of there. He hightailed it out. I, I can remember preaching those 10 youth camps that summer. I preached, I, I preached on this, trying to encourage those teenagers, you know what, you're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be faced with sexual temptation. Think about this. this. Guys, this is right where, where we live. Now, here's a young man, I don't know, maybe, maybe right around 20 years old. You know the hormones are running wild. Miss, Miss Potter, look at me, Miss Potiphar was a looker. I, I don't have any proof of that. But I know the devil. And I know how he works. And I mean, she, she had to be one good-looking woman. And here she is, day after day, giving him the wink. So come on, boy, come on, I'll turn you into a man. And what did he do? I'm not going to sin against my God. And so he ran. He just turned and ran. I've been thinking about that this past week. I, I really don't think he was just running away from her. I think he was running away from his own passions and his own urges. He knew that if he didn't remove himself immediately, he might give in. And so he just got out of there. He was determined to keep his life pure for God. Can I just say, wow. Wow. So I got to wondering, I really wonder how many young men do we have like that in our world today? I mean, pornography, sex outside of marriage, sex before, it's nothing new. Dude, it was going on in Genesis chapter 39. But how much more prevalent is it today? For a young man or a young woman, just, just to visually take all of this in on their phone 24 hours a day. How, how many, how, not just young people, do you, those urges don't go away. Those temptations don't go away. Just, just because you get a little older, I mean, actually, I think it becomes worse because, because of troubles and problems. You can say, oh, you know what? I deserve a one-night stand. I deserve a little bit of this. My, my wife doesn't pay any attention to me. This lady in the office, she is paying attention to me. I, I deserve this. No, you don't. So I got to wondering, how many Josephs do we have in our world today? And then I got to even thinking about this church. How many... How many Josephs do we have here in this room? How many of you will determine from this day on, I am going to respect the purity of God, and I am not going to give in to temptation and sin because I don't want to sin against my God. And that's the bottom reason right there. Let me tell you what, guys, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I fight temptation every single day. I'm, I'm, I'm climbing down off of the pedestal that you've put me on. I'm just a man just like you are, guys. 
The devil knows how to get to me just like he knows how to get to you. But again, I've determined, I'm, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to do that because a couple of reasons. Number one, I would never do it to her or my family. Number two, I'm not going to do it because of you. I don't want to mess up the good thing we got going on here at Kavanaugh Church. But the most important reason I'm not going to give in is because I refuse to sin against my God. I, I wonder, how, how can you face the troubles of your life victoriously? Unless you, number one, recall God's promises. Number two, recognize His presence. And number three, respect His purity. I'm getting close to being done. Fourth, Joseph would tell us, I reflected on God's patience. Now, you do a little math with me. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he finally left prison, and probably somewhere around 40 when he was finally reunited with his father and reconciled to his brothers. That's a long time, isn't it, guys? It took a long time for Joseph to pass through the tunnel of trouble that he was going through. But he waited on the Lord, and God developed with him patience and perseverance. And God did something in his life remarkable. It changed him, molded him, and made him into the man God wanted him to be. I don't know about you, but I'm always in a really big hurry for God to fix my problems and to take care of my troubles. If I get up in the morning and by 8 o'clock I've received a call and, and I've got troubles, I want God to fix them by 8.30. You know, maybe 8.45. But here's what I've discovered. And lo, these many years I've been a preacher. God is much more interested in developing our character than He is in resolving our conflicts. You don't like to hear stuff like that, do you? But understand this, while you're going through these troubles, God is working. He's molding you, making you, strengthening you, turning in you, you into the person He has called you to be. I, I love what Romans says, chapter 5, we even rejoice in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So, so understand, during this, during this process of going through this tunnel of trouble I'm going through, if you're a believer and you keep trusting in God, realize God's working in you. And, and, and when he teaches you what you need to learn, he'll deal with the trouble. When he strengthens you to the point that he wants you to be, he'll deal with your problems. Our trouble is we short-circuit God. We want it fixed. We want it fixed pronto. And so we circumvent the whole thing. And then you know what happens? You've got to start the process all over again. If you flunk the test, you've got to take the test again. 
So j- just learn with me that, you know what, the best thing I can do right now is just be patient, understand God is with me, God knows, God's working, and God's going to take care of it. Finally, some, sometimes people wonder, preachers, why, why do you say finally? And you keep, keep going. We're getting close. Finally, Joseph would tell us that he remembered God's providence. Now, I don't like using big words. Maybe, maybe you're unfamiliar with this word providence. Where are you coming with that, preacher? What does it mean? Well, providence means that God is masterminding all the events in our lives, and he's working to put these events together for our good and for his glory. And at the very end of the story, over in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's brothers come to him, and they ask for mercy, and they ask for forgiveness. Their father is dead, and now these brothers are afraid because they remember what they did to their little brother. And and they're thinking, now that daddy is dead, he was our only protection. Joseph's going to be mean to us. And yeah, we probably deserve it, but oh, they came and they asked for mercy. Joseph forgave them, and here's what he said. Don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish now what is being done, the saving of many lives. I love that part of the story. Don't you? Now, I'm just imagining this, but I really don't know if Joseph was mature enough when he was 17 years old to have been able to say that to his brothers. He had to go through that tunnel of trouble. He had to allow God to strengthen him and make him into the man he became for him to come out of this thing on the other end and say, hey, hey guys, it's okay. I know that you intended to harm me and wanted to kill me because you hated me, but God was up to something. And God used your bad for something good. And right now we're seeing the result of that. Lives are being saved. This is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. You know this verse? Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I'm not going to go on until you say amen to that. What a great verse. What about your life? Is it flooded with problems today? Perhaps it's because you've done something to deserve them. Maybe you've brought on your own trouble. If so, you need to confess your sins, commit your life to Jesus Christ, and let him help you day by day. You you know this as well as I do. You you can't go back and, and... Redo your life. There there are no do-overs. Some things you can't go back and you can't even go back and fix them. But you can be forgiven. And God can even take those bad mistakes you've made, those bad decisions, and he can do something good with them. But you need to trust him. You need to put him first in your life. So if the answer to your question is why, why, why... you know, why am I having all the trouble I'm having? If, if that answer is because you've done something, 
you can deal with that this morning. But perhaps you're here today and you've done nothing to deserve your current problems. Then you know what? It's, for, it's, it's, time, for you, it's time for you to step up to the plate and be a Joseph or a Miss Josephette. For you to recall God's promises, there's a book full of them. For you to recognize his presence, he is with you in the good times and bad times. To respect his purity and realize, you know what, that the two wrongs never make a right. To reflect his patience and to remember his providence that God is in control. Here's what I know, church. Satan may intend our troubles to harm us. In fact, he wants to harm us, but God intends these troubles to use them for our good. So you know what? I think all of us today, no matter who we are, can say, for all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. And it all starts and pivots on you loving God. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today's the day. I'll help you do that here at the altar. You can be forgiven of your sins, have a hope and a future in heaven. And if you're here today and you've got problems, don't know where to turn, I think God brought you here today for this word and this story of Joseph. You don't have to walk out of here burdened down with the same cares you carried in. You can bring all those problems and leave them right here. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would do that. I pray that my friends would, um, would have the courage to stand up and step out, come to the altar and pray. Lord, for those who need Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would come and pray the sinner's prayer, be forgiven of their sins. Lord, for all of us who are dealing with troubles and problems, may May we come and just find strength in Jesus today. May we gather up all of our problems, bring them to the altar, and leave them here. Lord, bless us, help us. Minister your Holy Spirit to us in a special way right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? And I just encourage you to use this time in prayer. Yeah, you can pray where you are. Well, let me tell you something, friends. There's something special about coming up here and praying at the altar. And if you need to come, come on right now. Come to Jesus.
Lord Jesus, we do worship you today. We lift you up. We exalt you. And we know that when Jesus is lifted up, that you will draw men, women, boys, and girls to yourself. And dear Lord, I sense that today. I sense you're drawing people to yourself. And I pray, dear Lord, that as you draw us, we would humble ourselves and that we would submit to your will and that we would seek your forgiveness. Lord, I love this church, love these people. I pray a special blessing on each one who's here today, especially these who have come to pray at the altar. Lord, help them to leave full of the Spirit of God. Love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. God bless you for coming. Uh, next Sunday, I think next Sunday is the Sunday before our celebration of the 4th of July. Am I right about that? Can you believe July's, July's right around the corner? So some, somehow, some way, I'm going to talk to you about freedom next Sunday, okay? That's all I'm going to tell you. As you leave today, if you're a member of Cavanaugh Church, make sure you drop your offering in one of these black boxes. Uh, summertime's here, people go on vacations, I understand that. I want you to go and enjoy yourself on your family vacation, but don't forgive, forget to support God's work and give your offering, all right? From 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock today, we've got a baby shower. Miss Catherine, Miss Catherine, there you are. Are you ready to have this baby? Yes, yes. Devin, things are set up back here. It's going to be in the, uh, the lobby to our teen center. It used to be a lobby of our old sanctuary. It's really set up cool for a baby shower. So if you'd like to come between 2 and 4 and enjoy this baby shower for Miss Catherine, you can do so. Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we've got classes and activities for all age groups. Uh, I'm going to be preaching to the adults in here, and I'll be sharing some wisdom from the book of Proverbs. So come for that. Teen camp this week, Nathan praying for you, bud. Hope everything, hope you don't get in another tornado. So hopefully not. Pray for the 27 going to camp. Uh, Brother Matt and his ministry are, they are cooking ribs, racks of ribs for sale. The profit of this goes to our uh, Puerto Rico church and uh, Pastor Jose. So I think Matt's going to be out in the lobby. If you'd like some ribs, you can put in that order and then pick them up on Friday just in time for the 4th of July celebration. Way to Recovery is going to meet today at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, Way to Recovery. If uh, you and your family need help from addictions, come today, 4 o'clock, Way to Recovery. I hope you have a great day, an awesome week. Stay out of trouble. Okay? Get out of here. <laughs>